meal, for some, is simply food to ingest. For others, it is time to connect with friends and family. But for Jesus, it was an occasion to demonstrate the character of God in surprising ways. It was in the context of a meal that Jesus showed us his heart while others sat around a table with him. You're invited to pull up a chair and prepare to experience Jesus, the dinner guest, sitting across the table as you witness the extraordinary. Because when Jesus came to dinner, it was always more than a meal. All right, Trinity Church, how you doing? It's good to see you today. I want to thank you, Chris Dowdy, for making that video, Chris Petnack, for our design. They always do such an amazing job. Very grateful for that. And like Steve said, kind of welcome to our cafe. That's kind of our decor idea. I have some great teams who put that together as well. And so that'll be kind of our focus for the next few weeks leading up to Easter. The, the thing that will be in common in each of these weeks is that there's always a setting of food. And all these narratives are also in the book of Luke that we'll be spending time in. So Luke, I sense a great kindred spirit with him that he loved to write about food and I love to eat it. So it's a good team that we make and uh, we're going to have a great time getting to walk through this together today. If you have a Bible today, if you brought one, we're in the book of Luke or chapter 19 if you want to find your way there. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And it's uh, one of the what we call the four Gospels. And so if you find your way there, that'd be great. You also, if you received a Trinity this week inside of it, you have some notes that look like this, message notes. If you want to get those out, you can follow along with us. This helps you track a little bit throughout the message. Also, if you open it, you'll notice that there are home group notes connected to these. Many of us are in home groups, and it just creates a great conversation this week as we get to talk about what we were learning from Scripture. But I also want to encourage you, some of you that might be new to Trinity, might not be in a home group yet. And if that's an interest of yours, right out the doors today, when you're done at the Welcome Center, at the end of the service, they would love to talk to you about how to get connected into a home group and just really be able to have a great, meaningful series of relationships. It's more than having a good conversation after the message. It's really a great opportunity to begin to do life with people. So encourage you to uh, take that step as well. Um, Well, let me tell you about a couple things, catch you up to speed. When you walked on the campus today, you noticed that there was definitely a change on the plaza, and that was uh, related to some trees that we took out this week. I wanted to give you the explanation behind that so you can understand it. I've been concerned ever since I came a year and a half ago, and many of you have been concerned for a long time about our uneven concrete out on our plaza, and we've had more than one incident of someone falling, and we really want to correct that for young and old alike. The problem with our concrete is that roots are pushing the concrete up. So what you've seen today is really just the beginning of a project. We needed to fell the trees in order that we can go in and then rip out the concrete, replace it with concrete that's even, and obviously get the roots out underneath of it. So the reason we did this now, why did we fell the trees here in February, was um, when we get closer into spring, those roots are going to rejuvenate, and they're going to be harder to deal with later on rather than at this point now when they're still dormant. So that's the logic behind that. If you notice when you walk out and there's all these upside down trash cans over things, like what is that about? It's really for the fact we don't want you running into them. They're at a weird height where the stumps are and I wouldn't want you to just step into one or walk into one. And one even has a cute little cone on top like a hat. So just notice uh, that's all for your safety is what we're doing. But our project will be 
begin in subsequent weeks, and we're excited for that. We've needed that on the plaza. It's a great space for meeting and connecting and talking with people. We just want it to be a safe space as well. So that's the beginning of where that's going. Last week, if you were here with us, you met my friend Ray Johnston, and I was right, wasn't I? He's a kick in the head. He's just a ton of fun, great guy, and uh, just really did a good job. And, And the reason I wanted to tell you why we brought Ray specifically for the end of a series we called Inverted was that as we walked through the first six chapters of Daniel, all these narratives of what it was like to live in a very non-Christian environment related to um, uh, Babylon, very much against Yahweh and against his ways. How did these, Daniel and his three friends, how did they thrive in that situation? We've talked about living in a post-Christian America, and what does that mean? What are the principles we can apply? And I knew, I've heard this message before that Ray brought, and it was so full of hope. And what happens sometimes in a post-Christian America, we as believers, as followers of Jesus, can become hopeless. And what I thought he did, so rich, every, every service was a little different. I was here for all three. But one thing that was true in all three of them related to this great comment he made as he walked through, these are the things that Americans have lost over the last 70 years. When he gets to the end, he talked about the idea that what, what is true in America is a deep sense of hopelessness. But the great news is you have what people are so desperately seeking. You have the hope that anchors us, not just for this life, but for eternity, the hope in Jesus. And so I wanted to encourage you with that. I thought it was a great way to finish off that series. And now it kind of catapults us into the next. So we're excited about that. Some of you will be out at Thrive this week to get to interact with him and others on his team, and you're going to have a great time. Take a look at this before we get into our series today. Uh, in your Trinity this week, uh, we're doing a great thing as we thought about the idea of a series related to food. We thought, what better year to do the Passover dinner? Dinner together, a Seder dinner. And so we have the great privilege of having Susan Perlman. She is the co-founder of Jews for Jesus. They're going to be here with us on Thursday, the 29th of March. Happens to be what people call Monday Thursday, M-A-U-N-D-Y, which was the night that Jesus took these elements with his disciples in the upper room. So you couldn't get any more dialed in on the day than what we're going to do. And she's going to come. We're going to have a, a meal together, and then she'll walk us through a Seder dinner. And what, if you've never been through a, a Seder dinner before, and, and I love the title, it's Christ in the Passover, Jesus is foreshadowed all over the Passover. And so we're excited to get to let you see that and get to experience it firsthand. So the way that you sign up for this is on the back, you'll notice it's all online registration. We do have a limited number of spots, and so it's the best way to manage that. You can go online, you can get yourself and your family signed up. It's very reasonable cost, I think it's $7 a person. max per family. So we'd love to have you involved. It's a great thing to bring kids to as well. So get signed up. Join us on the 29th. We'll have a great meal together and really get to um, really be impressed with how God was foreshadowing Jesus, foreshadowing Messiah all throughout uh, the Passover meal. So we dial in today and we're talking about um, this, this idea of more than a meal. We said a minute ago, really the only common denominator of the next five weeks is the fact that food was involved. Every time it was a different kind of a situation, different types of people that Jesus is interacting with. And what we're going to find is this, that where Jesus came as a guest, he always demonstrated the character of God in surprising ways. It was in the context of a meal that Jesus showed us the heart of God. 
while others sat around a table with him. And we're excited over the next few weeks to see these, these um, aspects of the heart of God. Today, we get to kick off in a really powerful way as we're going to talk about the idea that God has placed intentionally in your life seekers, people who are curious, people who are interested in wanting to know the Jesus that you love. And so as we look at that today, we're going to find that they come across our paths in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes maybe we've been praying for them and they're more expected. Other times it might be out of the blue. But either way, we want to be a people who are alert, alert to opportunities to demonstrate the heart of Jesus. And probably one of my favorite lines in all of scripture is found in our passage today when Jesus says that he came to seek and save that which was lost. So take a look in your notes on the screen, our now what statement. What are we supposed to do with today? To follow Jesus' example of seeking the lost, pay attention to seekers. Let's dive in. Number one in your notes today, seekers are searching for Jesus. Seekers are searching for Jesus. She sells seashells down by the seashore. I'm going to get that. Luke 19, chapter one, or verse 1 begins this way. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Let's back it up. What we've just read is the beginning of chapter 19. Some, throughout the Gospels, many times action will be continuous, meaning from one chapter to another or within a chapter, this is the next thing that happened. Other times it's more sporadic. But what we find in the end of chapter 18 is actually historically, it's, it's on a linear timeline. It, fo- it comes just before what I just read. The end of chapter 18 of Luke goes this way. Jesus was also walking around the same city of Jericho and he comes upon, upon a man who was a blind beggar. So he's begging from the side of the road, doesn't have any other way to take care of himself. There's no social security. There's no other types of forms of aid. He's going to have to beg to eat that night. That's what his life was. And so he hears the commotion that Jesus is coming through town. He begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And as he's walking through, it's interesting to note that the crowds have a very defined idea of what Jesus should be doing that day, and it has nothing to do with a beggar on the side of the road. So they talk to him. They tell him, pipe down. Be quiet. Jesus is a busy guy. He doesn't have time for you. But Jesus, not only sensing the man, but understanding the crowd's attitude, he totally makes time for him. And he pulls over to the side and he says, what would you have me do for you? And the man says, with great clarity, I want to see. The image of sight today is going to be very profound as we look at this narrative with Zacchaeus as well. But he says, I want to see. And Jesus heals the man and continues into Jericho. Now, some of you who have been in church too long, you just heard me say what I said and just took it very matter-of-factly. I just told you that Jesus supernaturally caused a guy who was blind to see. That doesn't happen every day. Jesus had no lasers. He had no medical technology. Simply the power of God caused a blind man to be able to see with crystal clear vision. That's something that we cannot keep reading over in our Bibles. We cannot keep taking for granted. And the crowds, by the way, definitely did not. They'd heard the things that Jesus was saying. They'd heard very much that he was talking about the kingdom of God. But then you connect that to the power of God. 
displayed in this man being healed right in front of their eyes. They knew this guy. They had always seen him by the same gate in the city. And now all of a sudden, he's getting up off his mat. He can see, and they're realizing this Jesus is much more than a good teacher. This Jesus is something else altogether. Jesus enters into the city, and he's coming into Jericho. And we read about a guy who desperately wanted to see him, a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, this is what we need to know about Zacchaeus. It says he was a chief tax collector. What that means is not only... Did he extort money from people, but he had other people doing that for him. So he was like a manager, an overseer of other guys that were also taking money. Here's, here's what first century tax collectors did. The minute you hear tax collector in this room, we think IRS and our thoughts already go south, right? And if you're here today and you work for the IRS, I am so sorry, okay? We already think badly of you. But on top of that, this is a whole different ballgame. You need to understand that IRS and first century Palestine are totally different things. Because this is what happened. I was reading in the commentaries is the simple explanation. By extorting more money from the people that they, the tax collectors, had contracted to pay the Roman government is how they became wealthy. So let's give you a scenario. Let's say that the mighty nation, the mighty military power of Panama to our south comes up north and overtakes America. This is my scenario, so just go with it, okay? So within this, Panama overtakes America, and what Panama does in the Inland Empire is they establish people who are going to receive funds from American citizens to the government of Panama, and in doing so, they're going to do it with all their military might. So let's say we have a guy named Pete, okay? Pete lives here in Redlands, and Pete's going to come knocking at your door. Now, what Pete has been told by Panama is that he needs to extort, he needs to receive in taxes $100 per member of that family. So if every member of the family is going to charge $100 going back to Panama. But then what Pete has, all the military power of Panama behind him, Pete says, by the way, it's actually not $100, it's $200, And you can pay that to me per person and we'll be all happy. You know he only needs to get 100, but he's charging you two and he's got armed military soldiers at the door with him that are going to make it very difficult not to give him what he's asking for. Now when you hear that scenario, a lot of different names come to mind about Pete, none of which you should say in church or anywhere else this week, okay? He is a rotten scoundrel. He's a total turncoat. He is a traitor for the Roman government. And on top of it is extorting money from his own people to make himself wealthy. Literally, there are not many people lower on the food chain related to socially acceptable than a guy like Zacchaeus. He is a bad dude. And he is deeply hated by people around him. His reputation is known. Now, within this, what we also know is not only is he a tax collector, but he's actually very good at his job. He's become very wealthy. He has a lot of money. And we're going to find that the city where he's at in Jericho is a commercial crossroads. So not only the residents, but those who are traveling through, he has the opportunities to gouge. So this guy's become very wealthy in the process. I want you to see this from the beginning today. This passage is going to connect some powerful dots for us related to the value of wealth related to thinking of wealth through kingdom lenses rather than through selfish, greedy lenses. So you'll watch that as we progress today. You'll see what I'm talking about. Thirdly, what I want you to really make note of, though, today, besides the, the, really the, the poor reputation, the scoundrel that Zacchaeus was, I want you to take note of the amazing thing that he's seeking. He wants to see Jesus. 
The New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and so I want to show you a couple words. It's in your notes. The Greek word translated here as he wanted to see is a combination of two words. The first of which means to seek in order to find, as if getting to the bottom of a matter. The, the word translated wanted. He, he wanted, he sought, he had a sincere, strong desire to get to the bottom of this. Who is this Jesus I keep hearing about? So strong intent is one thing you should understand. And secondly, the word see is to see intently. He didn't want to just see Jesus from afar like a parade and wave at him. He wanted to know Are you who the people say you are? And if they're chanting Messiah, are you the one I've read about or at least heard about as a boy in the scriptures? The one who was to come and make all things new. I want you to catch this. He didn't want to discuss theology. He didn't have a crisis that needed solving. He didn't even have an ailment that needed healing. None of those things. He simply wanted to see Jesus. That was his goal. That was his aim. He wanted to perceive and to know who he was. I want to say to us all today, that should be our never-ending, ongoing pursuit. Jesus, I want to keep seeing you. Jesus, I want to keep perceiving you. My prayer, even our prayer of our production team this morning as we pray every Sunday before you arrive, our prayer is that throughout this series, you would better see Jesus in a fresh way, to know him, to know his heart, to know why he came and to know how he loves us. And that is part of what we even talk about as a church. We say we're a people rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds. That's the essence of living a rooted life, is continuing to seek to see Jesus. And every life stage that we're in, many of you have heard this story since you were children. Guaranteed today, because of your life stages changed, because of your circumstances have changed, you're going to see Jesus differently than you did when you were six because you're sitting here today. So I want to encourage you with that. Have open eyes and ears to see what this says about Jesus. So what did this short, as others would call him, this wee little man do in contrast to this? I have this great gift for you today. I'm going to combine a bunch of worlds all at once. The first is some of us grew up singing a childhood song that's going to be very familiar. Secondly, for those of us who are under 30, you guys kind of sitting in this front row, you hear me talk about flannel graph, but you have no idea what I'm talking about. You're going to see it, okay? But thirdly, and watch this, thirdly, to your benefit, we're going to speak it in a language you understand, the language of veggie tales. Take a look. was a wee little man and a wee little man was he really little he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the lord he wanted to see hello and as the savior passed that way he looked up in the tree and he said Zacchaeus you come down for I'm going to your house today Yes, I'm going to your house today. (laughs) Okay, so there you go. If you wanted to know a childhood song, some of us know there it is. If you want to know what flannel graph is, that's at least a visual representation of it. And thirdly, we've all introduced everyone to Vigi Tales who are old. Okay, so we're all good. All right, feeling good? Now, this is what happens. Seekers are willing to find answers to their questions. And Zacchaeus' question pertained to seeing Jesus. He had to get to a place where he could go, so climbing a tree made sense. I will tell you, by the way, the irony is rich that on the very weekend we're talking about Zacchaeus, we cut down 
all of our sycamore trees. Just let that sink in, and uh, there you go. If you're wanting to see Jesus at Trinity, you won't be climbing a sycamore to do it. All right, um, but here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see today. If you're here today, if you're here today and you would actually align yourself as you're listening to this guy, Zacchaeus, whether, whether you're a scoundrel, quote-unquote, or not, if you would align yourself to, but that's actually what I am after, I want to know who this Jesus is. I want to know who he is related to what people tell me about him. I want to know who he is related to what the Bible says about him. I want to know who he is related to what media and the internet says about him. I just want to know who he is. You're in the right place today. Because Zacchaeus was seeking, pursuing intently to know who Jesus is. And this is the passage in the Bible we're looking at. And I want you to know whether it's through a Sunday after Sunday experience coming to a place that's going to talk about Jesus very clearly, or whether it's through a personal conversation with me or one of our other pastors or someone else at Trinity Church, or whether it's today when there's an opportunity for people to pray with you, no matter what, there are people here wanting to help you see Jesus. The offer is very, very open and extended to you. I also want to say to those of you who already are following Jesus that there are seekers in your relational world that are crossing your paths at different times. Maybe everyone in your relational world who is in the follower of Jesus, you could say today seems to be seeking him, but there will be days when they are. And I want to encourage you to be alert, to pay attention to the times when people in your world want to know, want to see him clearly. Number two in our notes today, Jesus is seeking seekers. Jesus is seeking seekers. Back to our, our passage, chapter 19, verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, meaning below the sycamore tree, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him, welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Let's actually say it the way they would have. It's going to be the guest of a sinner, blah, 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 blah. You know, as though Jesus couldn't hear their muttering in the first place. He is the son of God. But on top of it, they want to kind of, you know, under their breath, you know, <clears throat> why in the world did you pick that guy? We'll talk about that in a second. I want you to note the urgency that Jesus had in addressing Jesus. Look at the key words, immediately. Immediately, Jesus said, and then also, or he said, come down immediately. And then he said, I must stay. Not like I'd like to stay. He actually made himself the guest. I've got to be your guest today. That seems pretty presumptuous. We'll talk about that as well. Jesus recognized Zacchaeus' interest and wanted to provide him with what he was after. He wanted to see Jesus. Jesus was going to make himself known to him. That sounds very engaging on Jesus' part and very hospitable on Zacchaeus' part. But I want you to catch this today. That's not what the crowds thought. That's not where their mind was at. Knowing this greed-filled scoundrel and his reputation being as such, consider this question. I want you to think of this and think of what the people were asking. When was the last time anyone wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house? When he had the kind of reputation that he had, nobody wanted to be associated with a guy that everybody hated. House guests were few. Jesus This rabbi that people want to know, they want to hear from, he's doing miracles. He's literally just done a miracle moments before. Of all people, why are you going to his house? That's exactly what the crowds were processing. 
Zacchaeus was the lowest of the low. And he had, you had to imagine he had really hard times trying to connect with people, even if he'd wanted to. And he had very little idea of knowing what it was like to be wanted. Think of what the crowds were thinking. Think of what their agenda for Jesus was. Jesus, I mean, when you're going into Jericho, these are the people you want to spend time with. Here's local rabbis that are here that would love to talk religion with you. Or Jesus, here's a a local political leader from Rome who you could share your agenda with. Or Jesus, at least go and spend time with a, a good, decent Jewish family. But of all people, you pick this guy. He's the worst of our worst. And that's who you want to spend time with today? They were completely confused, completely thought it was upside down that Jesus would want to be his guest. I want you to hear this today. You have some people in your relational world who are shady. Some people that other people don't like spending time with. But they're in your world. You didn't even choose to ask them to be in your world. They just are. Could be neighbors. Could be coworkers. Could be extended family members. Whatever it is. So here's the question. When they're seeking to know Jesus. The Jesus that they've been missing their whole life. How do you go out of your way to connect dots with them? Maybe it's someone like this, someone who left his wife and his family. And in the process of that decision, he's in the wake of hurt and regret and is now wondering what he should do. If you spend time with him, others will question what you're doing. Students down front, maybe it's somebody at school. Maybe it's a a girl who's dated people that really weren't a good idea. Now she's trying to figure out what to do on the other side of this. Others will question why you're spending time with her. She wants to talk to you about her decisions. Maybe it's someone who's an addict. And someone who's recognizing that nothing is working and they reach out to you. Others will question why you're spending time with him, with her. I just want to put this in front of you. Always follow Jesus. In your notes, when someone from your world who isn't highly regarded by others is seeking help and seeking hope that you have, follow Jesus' example and focus on the seeker, not the opinions of the crowds. Focus on the seeker, not the opinions of the crowds. Now, I want you to think of this. You know, I love at Trinity Church, you will hear us often use the phrase Jesus follower, Christ follower. And, and the word Christian, part of the reason why, the word Christian has just become very muddied and kind of weird in America. And it's used for all kinds of things that are not very Christian at all. It's not that we don't like the word. We think the word in its own essence and meaning is very powerful. It means little, little Christ. But Jesus follower seems to have that connection that maybe expresses that a little more specifically in our culture. Here's the wild thing. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, in essence, then by nature of the name, you follow his example. This is what Jesus did. He set aside cultural taboos. He set aside what the crowds thought he should be doing, and he came to seek and save the lost. Therefore, Zacchaeus was the only guy he wanted to see that afternoon. Uh, I've, I've thought about our first two points today in our notes. If you look at them on your, on your notes, seekers are searching for Jesus and Jesus is seeking seekers. You're like, Todd, this is very elementary, okay? People are looking for each other. Well, this is what I thought of when I thought of those, the way those are worded. In my mind, I thought, I don't know the last time I went to a pro or a college sporting event, but when I walk onto an event, it's always the same thing. 
First few steps towards the venue, there's always someone over here saying, hey, I'm looking for tickets. Hey, I'm looking for tickets. And I'm like, "Ah, I've only got one and it's mine. No thanks. You know, I'm going to keep walking. And just a few steps further, literally in earshot, there's another guy who's saying, hey, I've got tickets. I've got tickets. I have so badly wanted to introduce these guys to each other. Okay, you're looking, you're selling. Hey, I just made a match. This is awesome. And they just never seem to want to talk to each other. It's so weird. You see, I was thinking about that and thinking that's actually what we are called to do, to make an introduction. Now, Jesus doesn't need to be introduced to the people he created. But the people in your relational world need to be introduced to him. I don't know if you remember this. Last August, I walked into the crowd. We were in our Where You Fit at Trinity message. And I took someone from this side of the room up front and took someone from over here. And I just introduced you to each other. That's all I did was make an introduction. And in making the introduction, we said hello and got to know names. And then I said, good. And I walked back up. Because in making an introduction, I didn't need to somehow be determined that they become best friends. That's not really even up to me. But what is in my range of responsibility and ability is to at least introduce people. You see, that's really what we're called to do as followers of Jesus is to introduce people to him. And I want to say that some of you struggle with the same thing I struggle with most of my life. Until my early 30s, I struggled with this idea because I felt like I somehow had to, quote, save people. That it was somehow up to me to not just make the introduction, but for somehow this person now to become a follower of Jesus somehow rested on how well, how eloquent I was in talking about him. And I realized how incredibly wrong I was. This great God that I love, this great Jesus that loves me, loves them, He's going to take care of anything else. What I get to do is have this great privilege of making introductions. And I can leave the rest. Now, if they have questions and they want to know more and I can be helpful, praise God. But that doesn't rest on my shoulders to try to, quote, save people. What rests on my shoulders is the opportunity to introduce them. That's what happens when seekers are looking. They simply need to be introduced. And we need to let God do what he does in their lives and be excited to see how God could even just use us by way of introduction. That to me is exciting. I want you to see something today. If you're here, and you would say, we said earlier today, you kind of identify with Zacchaeus, the seeker thing. Like you're like, I'm just trying to figure out who Jesus is. I, I don't know what I think about him yet. I don't know what I think about this whole church thing yet. I'm just kind of trying this out. I want you to see something very powerful today that might be helpful to you. If you're here today, conversely, and you would say, yeah, Todd, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and your story kind of goes like this. Your story is that there was a time and place when you became very interested spiritually, when you became very interested in wanting to know who Jesus was, and you would say, prior to that, you just weren't. Prior to that, Jesus wasn't even on your radar. You didn't really even care about any of this stuff, but at one point, you just began to go, you know, this is really interesting to me. And this is really powerful to me. And I'm seeking something that matters, something that will last. You began looking into Jesus and now you would say, I'm not a seeker any longer, I'm a follower. If that's you and you're here today, would you help us out? Would you just stand? Would you just stand where you are and say, that really typifies me. I was someone who was seeking. I didn't know who Jesus was, but I began to be interested. I wanted to know him. 
And in doing so, I realized Jesus is who the Bible says he is. Jesus is who people were telling me he was about. And I realized I needed and wanted to place my faith in him. Now, I just want you to look around. Look around, because here's what I want you to see. You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to go, there's this guy up on a stage who keeps talking about Jesus. No, no, talk to one of them, because this is their story. This is exactly how God was at work, helping them understand, I am what you've been looking for all along. And when they found him, better said, when he found them, they were so excited to finally say, I'm done seeking, now I'm following. You guys can sit down. Thank you. That's awesome. I want you to see that. I want you to see there are other people who've already been on the journey you're on, and they have found Jesus to be who he said he was. Take it from more than me. Even take it from more than what the Bible teaches. Take it from the people that just stood up around you. Talk to them. Find out more. This is what those people realize. What I would want you to realize is what Jesus is doing. Look at the anticipation he has in wanting to know you. From Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, this is what he says. This is Jesus at the church of Ephesus. Here I am. I stand at the door, outside, out the door, and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. How powerful is this verse? Jesus doesn't just wait outside the door. He's even knocking. He's even saying, I am here. I am interested. I want to know you as much as you might be seeking me. Realize I've been seeking you a lot longer. And I love it even related to our series, More Than a Meal. And I will come in and I will sit down in this most intimate of ways and sit down and engage a meal with you. Let you know me and share with you how much I love you. This is where seeking turns a corner and becomes following. And I can't wait to show you this in Zacchaeus' life. Let's finish. Number three, seekers become followers when they respond to Jesus' invitation. Seekers become followers when they respond to Jesus' invitation. Back to chapter 19, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up. This is now that he's in Jesus is in his home. And he said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. That references Abraham as the father of faith. By faith, God, he did these things and God credited to him his righteousness. Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, not just ethnically, not just nationally, but by faith. And look at verse 10, some of my favorite words in the Bible. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This was his purpose of why he'd come. Let's unpack it a little bit. Notice the distinguishing mark of Zacchaeus becoming a follower of Jesus. It was found in the release of what he had previously valued most. Greed, wealth completely dominated Zacchaeus' life and very selfish in the way he had lived. This is the evidence of that kind of transformation and change was he released those things and said, I'm, I'm giving this away. He was willing to give half of what he had to the poor. So his assets reduced by 50% overnight, giving that away. 
and then to repay anyone that he had wronged, which, by the way, was everybody, four times what he'd stolen from them. Now, some of you might ask, well, why wouldn't Zacchaeus just give it all away? Why give away half and keep some? Well, let me ask you this question. How do you make restitution with people when you don't have any money? I think at the end of the day, Zacchaeus did give it all away. Half of it to the poor people in need, and the other half to make up for the people he'd stolen from. So at the end of the day, Zacchaeus is absolutely letting go of everything that he had held so precious because he wanted to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus was going to invest his wealth now in two things. One was to meet the needs of those in need and to pursue reconciliation with people he had wronged. Think about that. Think about the kingdom purposes for wealth to meet the needs of those in need and to pursue reconciliation with people he'd wronged. He's going to flip the purpose and no longer be selfish but selfless from pursuing riches for himself to now pursuing restitution towards those he'd wronged. What an amazing turnaround from one afternoon with Jesus. And by the way, those same people who were muttering under their breath, why in the world is he going to spend time with that sinner? They were pretty stoked at the end of the day because Zacchaeus was giving them a bunch of tax returns. The whole thing worked out pretty good all the way around. And by the way, that would have gone a long way, not only for people to receive these restitution funds, but to recognize the transformation of a completely greed-filled person to now one who was happy to give it away. That would have spoke volumes to the people in Jericho. Here's what I want you to see, though, as we finish this up today. I want you to see a little bit in context. Remember, I already backed us up into chapter 18. Just before chapter 19 is the man who was blind that Jesus healed. But then if you back up a little further into chapter 18, you find another narrative that almost looks just like this, but has a profoundly different ending. You can either turn your Bible or look on the screen. Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Gives him kind of like a reader's digest version of the law. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. By the way, the first commandment Jesus didn't mention in the earlier list, have no other gods before me. Look at the wealth, the God of wealth that had affected this man. Verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. We don't have any indication at all that he made good on what Jesus directed him to do, but he walked away deciding not to follow. I want you to see the comparisons and the contrast from the rich young ruler in chapter 18 and from Zacchaeus in chapter 19. Number one, they were both Jewish by descent. Number two, they were both wealthy. But that's kind of where it ends. One was an incredible scoundrel who was ripping people off left and right under the banner of Rome. And the other one was a very devout Jewish leader who had gained the great reputation of people. On a social spectrum, they were at complete polar ends but which demonstrated that he was a follower of Jesus. Watch this. Not the well-respected, not the found, not the found leader, because he chose not to follow Jesus' directive concerning wealth, but instead it was the hated tax collector, the sinner, 
the lost one who willingly gave away all his wealth without even being asked to do so. That's powerful. Jesus gives this directive to this rich young ruler, never even in our text says anything to Zacchaeus about this, but Zacchaeus in a transformative way says, I'm going to make right. Why is this? Why the the contrast? Why do these two men respond so differently? Well, it's because Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not the people who are found who don't think they really need a God anyway. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. And until that person comes to a place of realizing, God, I need a savior, not just religion to add into my backpack of my life, but I need saving, it's then that things change. You're aware that Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord this week. We had a a link that was out on our Instagram page that if you didn't get a chance to read, just an article in response and just gratitude for a life well lived and just the way God used him. But I wanted you to see a quote that I used in that article, but is also for us today as well. And this is what Billy Graham said about Billy Graham. He said, I'm not going to heaven because I have preached to great crowds or read the Bible many times. I'm going to heaven just like the thief on the cross who said in the last moment, Lord, remember me. I've got no stake on heaven because I've done some things in the name of God. The only reason I have the ability to be right before God is because of what Jesus has done for me. That and that alone. Billy Graham recognized he was lost and needed to be found. Zacchaeus recognized he was lost and needed to be found. People around this room who just stood up a few minutes ago were seeking, and in that seeking recognized they were lost and need to be found. If you're a seeker and you want to experience the love of Jesus personally, you have to get close enough to experience it. Remember, Zacchaeus started in a tree. His next step was across the table from Jesus in his home. But it was the final step of transformation when he said, I'm going to live differently. That's when the seeker became the follower. For those who are here today and you have been found, you've been walking with Jesus Remember that you have this great opportunity. Remember we talked today already about being rooted and we also remember about the incredible privilege of reaching. Let me remind you of the things that Pastor Tom Mercer shared with us last fall. These are five ways that we continue to be a people who are living lives of Jesus' influence. Number one, we make a list. This prayer card, we have them at every station on the way out today. You heard about Bill talk about the prayer menu. This is there as well. Make a list of the people that God has supernaturally, strategically placed in your life. And then guess what? Pray for them. Pray for them consistently. Pray for them and the things that God is doing in their lives. For those who are believers, pray that they continue to see Jesus. For those who aren't, pray that they would come to a point where they would want to be interested in seeing Jesus. Third, invest. Continue to invest in people's lives, not because they're a project, but because God loves them and because you love them. Fourth, invite. Invite them to entry point events at Trinity Church where they can see Jesus more clearly, even a Sunday morning service where they can see who this Jesus is. And fifthly, continue to prepare yourself. God, I want to live a life that is rooted, a life that is reaching, and that's why I'm continuing to grow in my faith with you, and I haven't stopped. I want to encourage you. I remember so clearly one of our global partners was home on a Sunday, and he came up to me. He's from Russia, and he came up to me, and he said, you know, Todd, isn't it coincidental that we have so many more opportunities to speak into the lives of people when we're praying for them? And he had a big smile on his face. 
because we both knew that's not coincidence. That's what's happening when you're praying. You're praying for ways that you could be the hands and feet of Christ. Here's our now what statement as we walk out today, this week. To follow Jesus' example of seeking the lost, pay attention to seekers. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who, as we look at this narrative of Zacchaeus, God, we're not only encouraged by the way that a gentleman was truly seeking after you, wanted to know who this Jesus was. And when he came in contact with you, God, the seeker became the follower. God, we're so encouraged by other people's faith, so encouraged by the ways that you're on the move in people's lives. Help us this week to be poised. Help us this week to be ready to be helpful to people who are looking for you, who want to see you. Would we have the great privilege of being able to introduce you to them? You may be here today and you actually fit the characteristic. You connect a lot more with Zacchaeus than anyone else in the narrative today. And you would have to say, you know what, I I recognize that I have been hearing about this Jesus and I, I am wanting to see him more clearly, but at the end of the day, I realize too, I need to make a decision. I, I want to stop from being just a seeker to being now a follower. And if you're here and, and that's where you're at today, I have great news for you. I can tell you what the next step is. And that is responding to the gospel. Responding through the lens of the ABCs. A is to admit. To admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. And I know that we use that word sinner in our culture and it sounds so nasty and so bad. Here's what the word literally means. You've missed the mark. You've lived life on your terms, not on God's. As a result, you, like every person in this room, every person on this planet, cannot stand before a holy God. But the great news is that there's a Jesus who did. Be as believe. Believe that Jesus is the only savior available, that he lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He was raised supernaturally on the third day. Believe that this Jesus made a way for you to be right with God. And see is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I want to walk your way. In the book of Luke, you've given me so many examples of how you lived. I want to follow your example and be a person of intentional influence as I grow my roots deeper into who you are. Father, we're so grateful that this invitation has been extended to all of us, no one excluded. We run into your arms today, so grateful that salvation is real and can be known. Thank you. Thank you for loving us so much. And we pray in Jesus' great name, amen.